The defense budget request from the Biden administration is a bit of an outlier as these things go. It was submitted later than ever and is an amalgam of Biden and Trump administration priorities. It's also the first in 20 years to come up with no overseas contingency fund request, or not exactly. For the important messages the budget is sending, we turn to the Director of Defense Budget Analysis at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, Todd Harrison. Todd, good to have you back. Hey, good to be here. We should begin with the fact that there is no 2022 appropriation to begin with, so we're a little bit talking academically here. <laughs> that's right, and, that, and that's important to remind folks that even though the House and the Senate you know, reached a compromise deal on the National Defense Authorization Act, uh, and that's waiting for the president's signature. Uh, they still have not reached a deal on the appropriations bill. And you have to have appropriations in order to spend money. So for now, and perhaps all the way through February 18th, at least, uh, we're under a continuing resolution. So the FY22 defense budget is still up in the air. All right. But uh, given what they have requested, that's a good place to begin. And there's a lot uh, of issues and and emphasis on the people costs of the volunteer force. I guess that continues a trend of of 50 years in some sense, but it's accelerating, isn't it? It is. We're seeing an uptick again uh, in people costs. And really the metric you want to look at is the average cost per person, uh, both in the active duty military as well as the DOD civilian workforce. And so that's one of the things that jumped out uh, in this budget request is that uh, the MILPERS accounts, military personnel accounts, went up by nearly 2% adjusting for inflation. And part of that is they were calculating in a 2.7% pay raise for personnel, which is what is required by statute. That's based on the employment cost index of the previous year. So that was already factored uh, into the budget here. Uh, and you know these costs are only going to get more challenging next year. Let's move on to the RTD and E costs, the uh, research, technology, development, engineering. This is a big part of what the military states is its need to modernize in terms of the threat environment. And what does the budget say there? Yeah, so that's where, you know, it got pretty interesting because if you look on the surface, they're showing more than a $6 billion increase uh, that research and development part of the budget. When you adjust for inflation, you know, it's about 4.4% growth above inflation. So, you know, looked at that and says, hey, you know, maybe they are really, you know, doubling down on the strategy, which says we need to invest more in modernization and new technology to compete better with China uh, and to a lesser extent Russia. But when you start to, you know, peel back the details, it's not much, as much growth as you might think. So, one of the things you know I found in there is that they included 1.25 billion dollars uh, in new a new funding line, mandatory funding uh, for something that's related to pandemic preparedness, uh, and they put that in DoD's budget and an R&D funding line. Uh, and that's not really, of course, what we think of in terms of investing in new defense technology. It's really not a defense application, but they put it in that part of the budget anyway. The other thing that uh, is interesting in there is uh, this new category of funding. They call it 6-8 funding, budget activity 6-8. Uh, it's for software pilot programs. And that's where they've created this new authority. Congress created a new authority that allows DOD to basically uh, you know, put procurement money, operation and maintenance money, research and development money, testing money, all in one pot of money 
that they can flexibly use, um, you know, for different types of activities at different stages in a, a program's process. Uh, and so, you know, that's an important thing because in software, like how do you actually, do, you know, how do you tell the difference between development and procurement and maintenance, right? It's all kind of happening at the same time. So they needed that kind of flexibility. So, you know, we saw a big increase in that part of the R&D budget, but a lot of that increase, about one and a half billion of it by my count, uh, is not new money. It's money that's just being transferred that was already in procurement accounts and operation and maintenance accounts, and they just transferred it uh, into this part of the budget. So when you look at all of those factors, um, you know, the growth that we saw in research and development was actually about half as much as we thought on first glance. Yeah, so that seems to say that they're not fully behind in a budget sense what they say in public they need, which is the strategic offset continuance. That's right. Yeah. So it, it casts more doubt on, you know, how much they were really leaning into the defense strategy here. And so that means looking forward to the next budget request for fiscal year 23 which, you know, by statute is supposed to come out in February. We'll see if they meet that deadline. But, you know, that's going to make us look more closely and say, okay, this will be the first budget request. Uh, The next one will be the first one that the Biden administration was able to craft from the beginning, right? And and it will be crafted, you know, uh, in alignment with their new defense strategy, which they're expected to, to come out with early in the new year. And we'll be able to see, okay, are they still relying is the strategy still relying and placing an emphasis uh, on you know investments in new technologies game-changing technologies and then do we see that reflected uh, in the research and development part of the budget all right so then some things that were kind of moved in and out of different procurement accounts and there's not really a clear statement of doctrine here in this budget what about the traditional procurements platforms and planes and ships and all those things that was an interesting budgetary maneuver that they did they essentially uh, punted over to Congress a lot of the hard decisions. And, and the way you do that in the budget is when you, you've got to meet, you know, a fixed top line, then you, you know, and, and there's more, more you want to put in it than you can fit in that top line. Then you take things out, cut things out of your budget request that you know Congress will want to put back in. And then Congress has to figure out how to pay for it, right? Do they give you more money uh, overall or do they make other offsetting cuts, difficult cuts? elsewhere in the budget. So that's essentially what happened in procurement is they cut out things like shipbuilding. They cut out a number of ships uh, from the plan that they're, you know, they could be pretty confident Congress was going to add those things back in. And it looks like Congress will be adding uh, ships and planes back into the budget requests that were taken out. Uh, But now Congress, you know, of course, has to figure out how to pay for it. Well, that's right. What we saw from the appropriations that didn't come through is that there was a big plus up and that was supported by both Republicans and enough Democrats to make it into those bills. But, you know, they haven't really finished up yet. That's right. So they haven't finished up yet. But in the authorization bill that came out, uh, it's authorizing about $15 billion in additional procurement money. And so it is going back and authorizing those ships that were taken out and a lot of a lot more airplanes than DOD had, had planned on buying. And, you know, the appropriations, if you look at the, the appropriations bill that made it through the House, it actually only adds about $2 billion, $2.1 billion in procurement funding. If you look at the appropriations bill that was introduced in the Senate, although it's not passed anything yet, 
it adds $9.3 billion in procurement funding. So it seems pretty likely that Congress will end up uh, adding procurement funding, but you know we don't know the specifics yet until they come out with a, a final compromise version of the appropriations bill. And early on, you mentioned that, yes, there's a lot of statement of intent and some money behind pandemic spending and also all of this climate area and making sure that bases are resilient and so forth. And that's all well and good. But does the budget fundamentally say we've got a big problem on our hands with China and we've got a big problem on our hands with the fact that they're having more soon will have more nuclear weapons than we do. They'll have more ships than we do and their hegemony is going beyond way beyond where they live. Does the budget talk about that? In the dollar sense? Yeah, I mean, you know, some indications there along those lines, but the budget really, it it continues to speak towards the threat posed by China in much the same way, in a lot of continuity in the way that the Trump administration's budget requests did. Uh, And that's not surprising because, you know, this budget request for FY22, it was actually, you know, prepared and developed from the bottom up by the Trump administration. They handed a fully completed budget over uh, to the Biden team in January, and then the Biden team had a chance to make some revisions to it. I would say it did not go further in terms of trying to address the China threat more uh, directly, more aggressively. And part of that, uh, I think, is because, you know, one of the things the Trump administration did at the very end is it came out with a whole new 30-year shipbuilding plan that called for a tremendous increase in the size of the fleet and in the near term in shipbuilding and construction funding. And they had reportedly put that into the FY22 request. And so they were going to really try to accelerate shipbuilding at the expense of other parts of the budget. And we don't know the details of what they would have cut, but what it looks like is when the 22 budget came out, Uh, The Biden administration took a pass on that accelerated shipbuilding plan and rolled it back significantly and basically, you know, said, we're going to wait and we're going to think about that and come out with our own plan before we try to implement something the previous administration had just developed at the last minute. So that is going to be part of the national defense strategy that they've been working on for almost a year now. uh, And we'll know a lot more when that comes out. So then basically presuming then to wrap this kind of up in a bow, if the 2022 package was enacted by Congress in the budget bills, then basically it would be sort of a holding pattern until we can see what the new administration really wants in 23 and beyond. Yes. And that is typical of the first budget request of a new administration. uh, Is it basically... Uh, tries to forego any big changes, any big shifts until the new administration has all of its key personnel in place and has had time uh, to review uh, and build its own strategy and budget from the ground up. So, you know, that's what we're, we're looking at in this budget request. That's why you see Congress making more changes to it because they're trying to adapt more dynamically to the threat environment and what we see going on around the world. Uh, But the FY23 request, you know, all eyes are going to be on that to see what does the Biden administration really want to do when it comes to national defense. 
And meantime, Xi Jinping says, I can make myself president for life and will definitely have continuity. But I guess that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, still prefer our system over theirs. Uh, you bet. We'll take it any day. Todd Harrison is Director of Defense Budget Analysis at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. As always, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. We'll post this interview along with a link to his analysis at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. And that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, 
when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, 
and they they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.